No, honey, you can't do that because we're recording. Hello, welcome to Restless Minds episode 10. Today we're talking about RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Quick disclaimer before we start, everyone experiences ADHD, OCD and mental health in general differently and we only speak from our personal experiences which may be totally different to yours. We're also not mental health professionals but we do encourage anyone who thinks they may be affected to seek professional advice and diagnosis and that's Mr Doji saying hi as well. <laughs> well hello, hi Ellie. Hey Timmy, how you doing? Had a nice weekend, had a, my first week back to work so it was um, actually better than I thought. I thought it would be really horrible like going back after being off for three weeks but it's nice to get back into routine, use my brain, see people. I had a few birthdays this weekend, which has been nice. And then went for like quite a long walk today, did 14K steps. And yeah, now I'm back home recording. How are you? Um, I'm good, but I'm sad because Willie Garson died this week. American actor, probably best known for his role as Stanford in Sex and the City, which I know you haven't watched, but need to. But I actually love and know him best as Evan from Freaky Friday, the Lindsay Lohan Yes. Yeah, and the reason I bring this up is I love his character in that because he's very like neurotic. He's described as like her neediest patient because he sees her every day because the mum played by Jamie Lee Curtis is um, a psychotherapist. And there's some of his quotes I just love, one of which is when she's like, you know, how are you? And he says, this morning was good, but then I got up. And my favorite part is basically his character obviously has a form of OCD, probably suicide OCD or harm OCD, because he's constantly worried and anxious that he's going to jump out a window or kill himself. And basically when Lindsay Lohan is in the mum's body, so Jamie Lee Curtis, if you haven't seen Freaky Friday, the idea is that a mum and her daughter switch souls, if you like. So their souls are in each other's other body for just for a bit, don't worry. And so Jamie Lee Curtis but Lindsay Lowe's hands in her body at the time is sick of him because she's a teenager and like she's a rock star or whatever. And she opens the window of the high rise, you know, therapy room they're in and she's just like, well then just jump out if you if you want to. She's like, just do it. And then obviously his character is like, no, are you insane? And basically it's an example of exposure therapy, but like a really unsafe, like unregulated kind of dangerous example of exposure therapy which I don't support um other than that what's happened this week so I saw my friend Nina and it was funny because um we were talking about ADHD I was talking about my diagnosis and she basically thinks she has ADHD and I can confirm I also believe that she does and one of the reasons I think this uh, aside from knowing her for years and knowing her very well is that when we first met up we were looking walking along the road sort of chatting how are you how are you blah blah And Nina kept being like, oh, look at that. Oh, there's one of them in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that light over there? And do you do this? I do. Whenever I'm walking along having a conversation with someone, I'll be noticing things and I'll just have to say it. So they'll be telling me a really deep story and I'll be like, oh, wow, look at that bird over there talking to that squirrel. (laughs) The bird doing what with the squirrel? Talking. (laughs) To you like Snow White or something. (laughs) Yeah. Look at those birds cleaning dishes and like that raccoon washing someone's shoes. Yeah. Ah, whatever she does. So today we're talking about rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which is a topic you could talk about forever. So this episode's sort of an intro for anyone interested in what it is. Hopefully if you've got ADHD or relate to some of what we say, if you love someone with ADHD, 
by the end of it, you should have a better understanding of why we just cannot deal with criticism of any kind. So etymology-wise, because we all love a bit of etymology, rejection is the act of refusing to accept or consider something or someone. And interestingly, in all the definitions I read, affection is normally mentioned. So refusing to kind of give affection or accept affection from somebody. Sensitivity is the quality of being easily upset by the things people say or do, slash having a strong physical reaction to something, slash the quality of being easily influenced or affected by something. And dysphoria is a state of generalized unhappiness, restlessness, dissatisfaction, or frustration. And it can be a symptom of lots of different conditions. So putting them all together, RSD equals having a strong negative emotional and or physical reaction to criticism and rejection or importantly perceived criticism and rejection because often in the situations where an ADHD person is triggered and gets RSD the other party was not rejecting them in the first place but we just have this heightened sensitivity to it so we kind of see or feel rejection in places where we're actually not being rejected anyway. What are we like? Yeah, honestly. So I was wondering when I was first researching this, is RSD exclusive to ADHD? And I found kind of inconsistent stuff online. Mm. So Dr. Dodson, who is big in the ADHD world, said that rejection sensitivity dysphoria appears to be the one emotional condition found only with ADHD. But then other things I read said otherwise. And I also couldn't really find RSD mentioned on many UK websites. It was mainly American websites. Um, so I'm not sure if RSD is kind of considered by like the NHS. The, um, I guess, the psychological community, psychology community even, about RSD actually existing and being a condition in itself. So some um, doctors and scientists believe that because you can't measure rejection properly and actually have it like tested in a proper experiment and those kind of things, that it isn't actually accepted as a condition. There are a few of those. Most doctors uh, and scientists do recognise it as a thing that is experienced by people with ADHD. But from someone who experiences it, I can tell you it's real. So I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, believe us, because we're saying it's real. And also, I suppose the other difficulty with RSD is how can you tell whether something's RSD or is firstly maybe a reasonable reaction in a situation I think having ADHD makes you question your reactions because you're thinking oh am I reacting like this because of RSD or actually are my reactions perfectly almost acceptable but also is it RSD or maybe is it because you've got I don't know some trauma in your past or something's triggered you or is it because of something else happening do you know what I mean Timmy so it's like is it RSD yeah. Or has some sort of childhood trauma been triggered, or or is it the way I am, or have I, am, I, am I just actually a, ba- a bad person? Some, like sometimes, like aside from the condition, some people yeah, just have, have bad learned behavior and just don't handle things well. So like it's hard to kind of separate it out and kind of figure out. But I or think am I just a narcissist who can't take criticism? <laughs> yeah, I've had that before. But I, I think as we go through the definitions and kind of run through, yeah, it, it's not that simple either. Okay, so. So when we're talking about RSD and the sort of physical and emotional pain that comes with it, what we're talking about is whether real or imagined, it's pain triggered by the perception that we are being rejected, teased, criticized, that we're a disappointment to people that we care about. Or it could also be that we're disappointed in ourselves, we failed in some way, or we perceive that we failed, we haven't reached the standard we wanted to, etc. And as with everything, Nobody likes to be rejected. Nobody likes to be criticized. 
But with ADHD, when you're looking at any symptom for any condition, it's about the extent to which it impacts your life. And I think as we go through, you'll see that RSD is quite an extreme reaction to rejection that your average neurotypical wouldn't experience to such an extent or worry about or ruminate on for so long, etc. So Dr. Dodson described the pain is so primitive and overwhelming that people struggle to find any words to describe it. They can talk about its intensity, awful, terrible, catastrophic, and cannot find words to convey the quality of the emotional pain. I thought that was interesting because when he says primitive, obviously that kind of links back to the caveman brain because we have two brains. We have the amygdala, our caveman brain, and over the top of that grew our prefrontal cortex as humans developed. So annoyingly, we have sort of two brains that don't interact very well because we have our instinctual brain, caveman brain, fight, flight, or freeze. And then we have sort of logic in our second brain that's grown over the top and they don't really communicate very well between them. But I'd agree that RSD is a sort of panic response or the way it feels to me and my body and mind is a flight, fight or freeze reaction and therefore is completely illogical. I don't know if you'd agree, Timmy. Yeah, completely. Um, and I guess we've kind of talked, spoken about this before on the pod where like the logical side of me will know what I'm doing as a rational in terms of like my OCD or whatever, or even I guess with RSD, how I'm feeling. But it's really hard to connect that logical part to the physiological part that is feeling that anger or feeling that emotion so yeah um you're right I guess it comes back to the caveman brain <laughs> just yeah. instinctual like um, non-conscious thoughts and reactions to things exactly so Amanda Curry described RSD she said as my emotions go up my cognitive ability goes down which makes sense because you've got your caveman brain versus your Um, prefrontal cortex so it's often difficult to diffuse difficult situations and unfortunately a lot of other ADHD traits such as poor working memory and not being able to follow through on tasks can easily lead to situations where RSD will occur so that I thought was really interesting the fact that with ADHD we struggle with things like Mm. money time management and so I have a lot of shame personally about how I'm really bad at saving and I don't often finish things on time and then I'll get RSD about myself oh why are you such a failure at this, that or the other? Why aren't you able to adult like other people? Forgetting people's birthdays, not being organised, being late to things or like not being engaged or being present. And then people like saying, I don't like the way you do this. Like you're never this and kind of that. And obviously then you feel bad. And I think pre-diagnosis, I, I would often just kind of feel like I was just a bad person. that was just organised, didn't pay enough attention, didn't care about my friends properly and wasn't organised enough to kind of orchestrate things in the way I should. Or even like saving, like not saving money enough. And then my parents being like, why haven't you saved any money? Like you have a job kind of thing. Um, so it kind of creates this kind of weird loop, but then I guess obviously through like therapy and medication, like coaching and stuff, you can kind of get out of the loop, but it is a weird kind of cyclical thing. Yeah, for sure. So Timmy, hit me with an example of a time that you experienced RSD and what it felt like. So I'm going to throw it way, way back to like being a kid. And I remember like when I was young, particularly between the ages of like, I think like, let's say like 12 and like 16-ish, Whenever I got told by my parents, I would, I remember getting like so overwhelmed with emotion. Like I'd be like, you know what? They're not my parents anymore. They don't love me. They can't treat me like this. Like obviously like I'm going to, and I would like sit and Google like how to get adopted and whatever. Like just because I felt like. But you're going to Google like how to murder my family and get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how to hide bodies? No. I would just really like, I'd get so angry about the fact that I was getting told off because I always thought I was trying my best to avoid getting told off. So when I did. I'd be annoyed because I was like, well, I do all this other stuff that's great. Like, well, I shouldn't get in trouble for anything because I do this and that. And I'd be like really annoyed that I was told off in the first place. Then I'd be upset and feel like my parents didn't like me because, you know, 
as 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 you just said, it's not really rational. It'd be like, well, if they like me, they wouldn't speak to me like that. They wouldn't say that to me. So I must there must be a problem there. Like only someone that loved me would would um talk to me in X kind of way. And I get so riled up for like half an hour, like literally blood boiling. Then I'd be upset for like another half an hour. And I'd really struggle to like reintegrate into like normal behavior with my family. If that if that makes sense, like yeah. it might be a small yeah, thing. And like I'd be like super upset. And they'd, my parents would be like, you can't get this annoyed. Like it's fine. Like just we're having dinner. Like keep talking. I wouldn't be able to like talk for the rest of the evening I'd just be like so overwhelmed and sad and withdrawn which is one of the um, traits of it that I'd end up just like barely speaking and like not really communicating for a while and it kind of has continued throughout my life and I think a lot of my friends and like uni and work people won't get into another examples later would sometimes say that as sulking and I used to really get annoyed at the word sulking because I wasn't sulking I generally just was like unable to like unlock my brain from that state of like fight or flight like rejection like you've been called out like you need to kind of protect yourself thing so yeah, that's a childhood throwback of mine. Do you have one as well? Yeah, I mean, I fully relate to that for sure. With my mum, whenever we'd have an argument as a teenager or still now, if we disagree on something, I'm the same as you. My blood would be boiling. I'd be furious, but I'd also probably see her point of view. And as you said, it's just this overwhelming feeling of just, I can't even explain it, just horrible badness. Everything's a mess. Everything's wrong ah wanting it to be fixed but not Mm. knowing how and I think as you said rather than thinking logically like oh I'm pissed off but okay how can I you know make it better with her or think about what she said I would overwhelmingly feel like you know oh my god I'm the worst daughter in the world our relationship's broken I need to go to therapy and sort this out you know we're such Mm. a mess I fucked everything up and it just kind of everything seems so huge and just like the world has ended when actually you might maybe just had a row over something really minor, but we take it so extremely. And I think at the older I've got, obviously as a teenager, hormones, et cetera, a lot of people will be able to relate to that as a teenager, feeling things really extremely. And you kind of feel like your skin is just more sensitive in a emotional sense. You know, everything feels like acid emotionally. Whoa. But as I've got older, I was still feeling that. And I feel that then that meant my mum, for example, would often call me immature in situations where Mm, we were disagreeing. Yeah. And that would really anger me because I'd be like, I am not being immature. What I'm actually saying isn't immature. But obviously because my reaction was quite extreme extreme, Mm. and I was, I mean, I'd raise my voice, but we would never sort of scream at each other. Well, that's not true. Sometimes we'd scream (laughs) at each other, but you know, and I wouldn't be like slamming doors, but I suppose I would get very passionate very quickly especially when I think she's criticizing me and actually we had a conversation this morning where she wanted to talk about some like changes she thought of um sort of between us and instantly my back got up and I was Mm. thinking about this episode and I was thinking isn't that interesting that she's having a dialogue with me and I'm instantly feeling defensive internally and I don't want to but any kind of criticism I just my instinct is to protect myself and shut down and obviously I can see why people perceive that as immature because on the other hand I am listening to what she's saying and I do take things on board and I am quite good at conflict resolution I would say um but I suppose those emotionally raw reactions which don't necessarily manifest as screaming at somebody I'm not saying that but even just the fact that I would need to leave the room to calm down or to listen and cope with something I've just heard people would perceive that as being immature and exactly as you said why are you going off and sulking when actually I'm going off to calm my central nervous system you've you said a few like things I actually want to go back to that I think are really important 
sorry, um, I kept babbling on. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. You just like, as you were saying that, you kind of like, I've, I'm remembering like all these arguments and like feelings I've had with different people. And yes. You, you said um, everything feels huge. And I think that's such a good way of describing it. Like something happens, you're criticized. And it's like, we're not going to be friends anymore. I need to stop talking to them. They're a bad person. They shouldn't have done that to me. Like it all, like everything, it just feels like way worse than it is when you look back at it. Like someone might have said they didn't like the way you addressed them, whatever. Then it's like, you know, well, actually I need to be friends with them because they, they obviously don't like me. And so I'm going to stop talking to them. Like actually, like when I leave tonight, that's the last time they'll ever see me like in a fight with your parents. Like how dare she speak to me like that? When actually they probably didn't say anything that crazy. Um, and everything, I think it's everything's just, it's just, way more amplified and again as you said another good thing you said is that of course people can relate to that throughout puberty and stuff but I guess the definition as we said before is the extent to which it affects you and even still now at this age of 26 I still have that kind of response to stuff and I'm realizing now actually it's so funny because it is it can also be tiny things and it's not necessarily the way you react as you said I think not it's not necessarily what you're saying when you're reacting it's the intensity with which we're react- reacting. It, it can be extreme. And it's all to like, internal, I think. Yeah. Because as we've got older, obviously, we've learned it's not acceptable to shout, for mm-hmm. example. Or like so get that annoyed about it, something small. Exactly. So it becomes this bubbling, oppressive on your chest, in your body. And it's just stuck inside of us. And it needs some kind of escape. But, you know. Yeah, and, I, I, and you said as well about being called immature. For me, it was dramatic, and I used to hate, and I still mm. hate. You are quite dramatic, though, to be fair. <laughs> Someone I fell out with um, recently knew that and used that word to try and spike me in an argument. So we're not friends anymore, like, like at all. We'll never speak again. But that was the word that people would use when I'd have a re- And I get it, I got it at school, so I would, would often react in this big way, and it would be seen as, like, you shouldn't, you don't need to react that much. Like they only said this wasn't that big a deal, but I generally would feel so overwhelmed by it that I'd like have this big reaction or be upset or be annoyed or whatever. And as you said, like, it's just like my central nervous system just makes me feel that way about what you've said. But as you said, I guess we've learned as adults because conditioning, you kind of have to fit into society or be pushed out to the outside. So we both and others will have learned to just not externalize that feeling, but it's bad because when you keep in those emotions, it builds up and sometimes to me it leads to a panic attack because I just I get so stressed out about trying to be normal in that situation, not react that when I leave and I'm not in front of the people that, that have made me feel that way, whatever's happened, it becomes so overwhelming because I can finally like let myself like relax and cry and get stressed, or whatever. So it is it is intense having to like not express how you actually are feeling because it isn't acceptable in society, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean Yeah, it's, no, it's an intense sure. one. And I think it's a good point because I think I probably react a bit differently to you because I feel like I don't externalize it so much. And that maybe mm. is partly a gender thing, growing up as a girl, being taught, you know, not to shout, scream, or be loud. I don't know. But I think for me, I'd internalize it a lot more. So I'd be feeling that fury, as you said, that kind of bubbling blood, feeling a lot of hurt, feeling really embarrassed. I get embarrassed so easily and I'm very self-conscious. And that's something I've really worked on the past couple of years. And I do find that when I take my stimulants, I instantly feel more confident. That's kind of a side effect I get. Even just like walking into town, I just am walking. I'm not thinking about myself, how I look. Whereas when I don't take it, I just feel really self-conscious. Not of anything in particular, but just like, oh, am I walking odd? Are people looking at me? You know, do I, am I really hunched over? And that's another thing. My posture has been terrible since I was a teenager because I would sort of hunch to try and make myself smaller. But I think I'd internalize their rea- those reactions. So with friends, for example, if I perceived that a friend had somehow criticized or rejected me, I would shut down rather than express it, I think. And I would need a bit of time to process it. And then I can go back to them and talk to them about it. But I think for me, I 
I get RSD in the form of a lot of embarrassment and shame. Yeah, and I guess yeah, I was the flip, but I would get I'd feel the need to defend myself from the criticism right. or like the challenge of my personality because it would also be me feeling like people were calling me out on things I thought I had strengths in. So like I would react and being like, no, you're wrong and that's not true and blah, 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 and like getting all riled up and defending myself. But then as I as I got older, getting called dramatic made me again made me again start to feel like embarrassed and shameful about behaving like that. So I started not expressing myself and not getting involved in conversations and like learning to as as you I guess always have done internalize it and kind of just like not express it um as much which then can just lead to me like withdrawing completely and just rather than rather than being the other extreme where i'm like getting angry and upset and shouting and argumentative the other extreme is just me like completely just not speaking like if i'm in a group situation i feel like i've been called out or even one-on-one sometimes like i just can't speak because i don't want to like say anything that i'll regret or like come across in the wrong way or like be argumentative so then i end up just withdrawing and then it's not it's not good either way really <laughs> to be honest um but yeah, learning and working on on dealing with those things still. It's a, it's an ongoing thing, I think. It's not something you kind of just wake up one day and are like, I'm in control of RSD because as with emotions and stuff and the way your brain is connected, it's always going to be a kind of a constant thing you work on. For sure. And like Renee Brooks, who is also known as Black Girl Lost Keys, she runs an ADHD blog and I would recommend anybody with ADHD or someone they love with ADHD to follow her. She's an amazing resource, a brilliant writer, and I've learned so much from her. And she wrote a wonderful post um, all about RSD, which we will link on our Instagram and at the bottom of this episode. And she basically brought up the fact that the average ADHD child receives 20,000 more negative comments than neurotypical children. So she says that this means that many of us see criticism or rejection because we're more likely to receive it in the first place. So we're sort of hyper vigilant to it. And I think that's very true. Just thinking back to childhood, being told to sort of stop talking, put my hand down, be quiet. Why are you so hyper? Why are you so loud? Why are you so distracted? Why have you lost this? Blah, blah, yeah. Blah. Why are you saying innuendos at work? You know, fair enough, but we need to spice up <laughs> off his life. So she also said, which I love, she uses really great metaphor. She said, rejection sensitivity dysphoria is a raging storm of emotions. It's like a thunderstorm. I see it coming, dark clouds in the distance telling me to run for cover. Just like I can't stop pouring rain, I'm powerless against the flood of emotions RSD brings on. Like overflowing waters, those emotions can spill over, ruining the things it touches in its path. Once the storm is gone as quickly as it came, we are left to deal with the aftermath. I think that's so true of RSD. It hits you like a wave Mm. and it stays for a while. And then suddenly it will just go and you can't foresee it leaving. And suddenly I'm like, oh, I want to hug everyone. Oh, I feel fine again. Mine often comes and goes quite quickly. It sounds like you take a bit longer. Yeah, no, I'm like, um, re- like as I've been like more aware, I think specifically since I've been diagnosed like two years ago, and I've actually like, I read about you talk, actually you told me about it and I'd never heard about it until you described it. And I was like, oh my God, what the hell? I just thought I, ha- I had like anger problems um yes oh my god me too yeah so I I I, I am since you told me about it and I've kind of read about it I, I I'm getting better at like shortening my my time to like kind of get back to being normal but before yeah sometimes it'd be hours sometimes days like I just would like feel a bit off but as you said then suddenly you feel you feel kind of fine and you're like oh actually like mm. I miss my friends or like I, I actually love my yeah. mom and dad and my brother exactly. and sister but then you can see the destruction of like the, the waves right like 
you've not spoken to someone mm. for like a few hours or you said something mean or you shouted or you've like stormed out of somewhere you've been awkward made people feel awkward as well and you're kind of like ah, oh, and i got to fix this because i was in the wrong for how i handled it even though that's how exactly. i really felt i shouldn't have done that and then you got to go back and like be nice and apologize and build the pieces up again and behave well and it's yeah it's kind of a damage control continuously for sure and apologize for in instances where I have technically overreacted, apologizing for that, but also explaining yourself. I feel like in relationships I've had, when I've been triggered and had RSD, I often, well, actually, I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about this, but I think I will talk about it because I think it might help people, but it's quite um, revealing. But well, thank you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome, Timmy. <laughs> you know all about this because I ring you about it every day. I'm like, oh. <laughs> like yeah, um, <laughs> Basically, anyway, in relationships I've had, I'd say that I get RSD often at the beginning. So they'll say something, not meaning it in a negative way. Often it's when, you know, I don't know, they talk about an ex-girlfriend or something, or they'll talk about a past sexual experience. And for me, I'd find that like triggers my RSD, even though I don't want it to, it just has in the past. Mm -hmm. And what this reaction looks like is I instantly go really, really quiet I cannot meet their eye. I cannot look them in the eye. And I get this flight or fright um, reaction where I just want to run away and leave the room. I don't want them to touch me or come near me. And I basically just shut down. And for so long, I didn't know that this was RSD. And I honestly, I was just like, oh my God, I need so much therapy. Like, what's wrong with me? Why do I have so such an therapy. extreme reaction? I mean, I do need therapy, more therapy than I've already had. But, you know, I was like, why do I have such this extreme reaction? And obviously it would create issues. And I was like, oh, God, I, I seem really all those kind of gendered terms. I was like, I seem really high maintenance. I seem really needy. I, am I being like controlling as a girlfriend because I don't like what they're saying? So I'm shutting down. But it was completely out of my control. And I wouldn't actually put it on them. What would happen is obviously the cortisol was going up in my body. My caveman brain was triggered and I needed space. So I'd often take that space calm myself down now I know how to deal with it do some deep breathing get out of that flight or fright state so I can actually logically see the wood for the trees and then I'm not triggered anymore and I'm like oh it's absolutely fine everyone has a past whatever it doesn't even matter but it's not within my control to not be triggered it but what is within my control is how I respond to being triggered and it's funny because then that wave will pass really quickly and I'll want to go back to them and cuddle them and talk about it and explain what just happened. And, you know, people I've been with have been really understanding. And obviously you can only get perspective on it when you're not in that triggered, highly anxious state. So what I'd say to anyone experiencing RSD is try to identify those triggers, which can be really hard with ADHD because we tend to be living in one crazy moment to the next. Everything seems like a bit of a whirlwind. But if you are experiencing RSD, think about, okay, what was said or done or where was I when that happened? And then express your triggers, which I know is kind of a, a catch-22 because you don't want to be rejected by the person you're explaining the trigger to. But you've just got to stand your ground and not, if their reaction's not supportive, then you can't make them be supportive and you actually have to take people as they are. And if they're not supporting you, maybe they're not the best person to be with. I don't know. But the next thing I'd say with that is obviously I don't think, you know, you can't just remove all triggers that as a couple or with friends, if you know what someone's RSD triggers are, obviously then they'll just be more sensitive to it and not talk about it, um, you know, or talk about it less or when they bring it up, be more careful about it, whatever it might be. So kind of making those like reasonable adjustments. And as one of my favorite quotes goes, great relationships are not found, they are built. 
And that goes for any relationship in your life, friends, family, lovers, whatever. And as Rene Brooks says, create a contingency plan for if you become triggered. And she discusses hers, which kind of consists of her looking at her phone, saying something's come up and then leaving the situation, which is fair enough. But, you know, obviously it depends what the situation is. I think just taking 10 minutes for myself works really well. And now I've learned to be able to say to that person, I'm having RSD right now. I need 10 minutes. Whereas in the past when I didn't know what it was, the person I was with would be like, what the fuck? Why have you completely (laughs) shut down? And I'd just be like a rabbit caught in the headlights. Like, I can't express it. I don't know how to say it. When I'm normally like, they can't get a word in edgeways. But at this one moment, I like can't speak. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. sense. I agree. Um, and yeah, I, I've started doing that as well myself, like saying, I've just got, oh, I've just got to reply to something and then just like give myself five minutes, just like get in my head and be like, you know, this is RSD, try and calm down. They didn't mean it. And then just all just like leaving or taking a phone call and leaving the room. Or if you can leave the situation, just go out, find mm. a cigarette, whatever, like go for a walk and come back. But then there are, there are obviously there are situations where like if you're alone with someone, say in a relationship, you can't be like, something's come up because I'll just be like what came up kind of thing so as as Ellie said express it mm. but it's funny you mentioned about like not wanting to be touched by them or meet them in the eye like I have it as well my friends I think when I get upset by something go have a reaction people kind of like oh no I was only joking and I try and touch you and hug you and I'm like don't touch me like not that I hate you I just like I don't want to be touched I just need five minutes like I'll be fine but you trying to keep saying yeah. like what's wrong what's wrong what's wrong and like trying to get me out of it actually makes it worse I'm like just give me five minutes like don't try and hug me don't try and touch me just give me space for a second and let me just you know go and calm down I'll be fine if you just give me 10 minutes but if you keep trying to like nag at me and like keep pushing my buttons it's gonna get worse so people normally just leave you to it you go away come back it's fine exactly and then often I've been really embarrassed after it happened like (laughs) because the waves passed I'll literally be like I'm so sorry that was so embarrassing I just go into this state that I can't control the people are like what the hell sometimes when I have RSD or I react in an extreme way I do actually mean what I'm saying though like I'm like what you said like because sometimes people do say stuff I'm kind of like no like you were being rude there and taking the piss even though it is a criticism I suppose sometimes we've been triggered and what they've said would probably have triggered most people or what they said wasn't cool but then our response to it is so extreme that it kind of undermines us and also maybe it's not obviously fair of us always to react in that with the shutdown or the anger like it's such a quick like steep curve like Secondly, one second you're fine, the next you're like, I'm going to fucking blow, or like, I, I, or I literally don't want to be here, I want to leave, I can't exist here. And that's what I find, I, I, it would be interesting to see, like, obviously because you can't measure it, like, in neurotypical people, or people that are RSD at least, when they experience the fear of rejection, or actually are rejected or criticised in some way, I guess the speed at which they get, or how much it takes them to get to that level of intensity, because I, when I was saying before I thought I had anger problems, I was always like, it can't be normal to get this anger, but I wonder if other people experience it the same. So in Smart But Stuck by Thomas E. Brown, he says this about emotion being one of the aspects of ADHD. Managing frustration and modulating emotions. Although the most current version of the manual used for psychiatric diagnosis, that's in the US, does not recognise any symptoms related to the management of emotion as an aspect of ADHD, many with this disorder describe chronic difficulties managing frustration, anger, worry, disappointment, desire and other emotions. They speak as though these emotions, when experienced, take over their thinking the way that a computer virus invades a computer, making it impossible for them to attend to anything else. They find it very difficult to get the emotion into perspective, to put it to the back of their mind and to get on with what they need to do. Yeah, good quote. I think the virus description is probably one of the most apt one I've heard, right? Like Mm. something that you 
that is foreign and unwanted yeah. becoming extremely present and then slowly chipping away and eroding everything and changing the way it operates against your will. And then like kind of just like being cured by an antivirus and it's just suddenly gone. And you're like, oh, I find that to be normal. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like this also means, and I notice this myself all the time, that we basically feel like we fail before we've even begun stuff. So I think this is also that ADHD need for like instant results. If I suddenly think to myself, oh, I'm going to practice more of my singing this week because I do like folk singing as a hobby. And then I instantly think, well, I'm not very good at it and I could practice now, but that's not going to mean I get anywhere with it. What's the point of even starting? I'm 25, so I'm too old to be practicing singing. I think all these stupid thoughts. And then because I'm suddenly not like incredible at folk singing, I then don't even bother practicing, which obviously means I'm not going to get anywhere with it anyway. So do you know what I, do you ever get that, Timmy? It's like, yeah, of course, um, completely. Yeah, or the fear of failing down the line and other people knowing that you failed and the embarrassment of failing at like being a singer or being a YouTuber or doing a podcast, right? That fear of rejection sometimes down the line means that you don't do stuff. When I was doing research early today for this podcast, one of the things I saw that was interesting was that a lot of people with um, ADHD, there are two ways that they cope with um, rejection sensitivity that aren't actually necessarily healthy, but their coping mechanism. One is just not trying. People just give up. So they might avoid people that they think might criticize them or not go to a certain place where they feel like they might not be good enough. Or as you said, they might just not try doing the thing at all. And the second one is people pleasing, which when I read today again, I was just laughing because it's it's funny how many things, as I was saying before, that I can now attribute to um, my diagnosis. And so when I was doing therapy before I got diagnosed, we spent a lot of time about my need to please people and always saying yes and overworking myself and like feeling bad if I let people down and feeling that I was a bad person. And so again, I think pe- people with ADHD that know they feel bad when people are unhappy with them or criticize them or have issues with them constantly work to maintain this high level of pleasing everything and trying to achieve greatly everything, which is impossible. Of course, like sometimes you're going to cancel or people are going to have issues. You, you argue it's normal, but the need to avoid the rejection because it's so intense and so overwhelming means that you try and constantly do everything you can in all realms to avoid that. So like being the best friend ever and always being available and talking loads and calling and like being around and trying to be the bubbly person, like always happy and like giving advice and all these things that you think mean that people like you. And I really struggled at school when I would do that for people. And then one person wouldn't like me, like just a few people, like one or two people in the year didn't like me. I'd always just be like, it would really weigh down on me because I was like, I must be a bad person because if you're a good person, people would like you. So for someone not to like you, it must be about me. But obviously that's just that's just not how life works. Like some people you go on with and some you just don't. Yeah, and I think that feeds into the fact that people with ADHD struggle with creating boundaries in their life in general, especially in relationships with people. And I found that in friendships at school and uni. And even now, I, I definitely people please. I am afraid of being told off. And I said this the other day to my sister and she said, it's really interesting you use that language, told off. She was like, you're not a child in a classroom. Mm. Somebody can't tell you off. They can tell you they're annoyed at you or they can criticize you. And I was like, God, yeah, man, my sister's right. Like, why am I acting like I'm some sort of child victim, whatever? But I I think I advocate for myself and I definitely do. But if there's a situation where it would be easier to just move on or forget something happened. I definitely do that as well because, you know, no one likes conflict, but also it is sort of people-pleasing. I'm realising that now I'm saying it. (laughs) I don't like, even though in my head I'm like, that person was wrong or that was kind of inappropriate or that was, you know, not on. I won't always say it because I'm like, oh, it's just easier not to, I guess, because I just want them to like me or things to be as they are, but... I don't know. It's difficult, as you said, to know when something's RSD and when it's just kind of human nature, or or when, yeah, when these extra behaviours added on are obviously also all human nature and 
um, yeah, I guess just identifying your patterns is good. Yeah, and something else I actually wanted to talk about that I was reading earlier when researching. So um, as I was saying before, there's a lot of debate about the definition for RSD and where it sits within ADHD and the commonality of it and you know how it interacts um, with the condition. But also I was reading about the diagnosis and kind of like um, clinical definition for RSD. So quite often when people come and discuss RSD and how volatile their emotions are, and the intensity of it, it can often be misdiagnosed with a mood or personality disorder, or like, like for example, like borderline personality disorder. And I actually went through a similar thing with my therapist. So I think about a year ago, I was kind of talking through some situation I had, like housing arguments and like arguments with friends, maybe something at work and then family stuff. And I was saying how upset I was and like my reaction and how I'd like said things or like withdrawn for a certain amount of days and not spoken and avoided people. And my therapist was just like, so um so um um you might have a mood disorder and i was like oh my god what the hell and i kind of read through bpd and all those kind of things and some things made sense and some didn't and we kind of worked through it and like did some questions and did some tests and stuff and obviously my adhd diagnosis came out and then it kind of it, it made sense putting that in but quite often when the intensity that you feel when you get the rejection can also be seen to be a mood disorder because again as we were saying before emotional dysregulation can affect the way you, your mood swings around and how you interact with people. So interestingly, sometimes people get the wrong diagnosis as a result of the way they behave and then it's kind of re recorrected. So I, I didn't actually know it was as common as, as it is, but yeah, it happened to me. That was a mad time when you, when I remember you texted me, you were like, oh, not sure I do have ADHD now, they think it's BPD. It was really horrible. And it was really stressful because obviously when you find out you have ADHD, that explains a lot of things and it it, you know it doesn't become part of your personality but it definitely for a lot of us explains aspects of ourselves on a very deep level and then suddenly you were given this whole other diagnosis which completely threw you completely understandably but then they came back to ADHD it was stressful I had to kind of I spoke to my sister about it I spoke to my family and I spoke to you about it and my housemate about it and people that have spent a lot of time with me know me kind of well and so we kind of worked through it and, it, and I, again I would say it's important to do I think you know with, with diagnosis and therapists and doctors like get a second opinion make sure you work through yourself and understand it because it could have been easy for me to just be like yeah sure that's me and whatever but kind of speaking through it and reading about it and doing research I kind of a lot of the things that needed to fit and again with diagnosis you had need to hit certain points just weren't correct but it was really stressful having to kind of be like there's another diagnosis and actually like it's kind of a bit more extreme and it's difficult to like manage and like actually yeah. there's more therapy needed and stuff so that was very um very wobbly time but yeah and just a side note on bpd obviously like mm. borderline personality disorder the the acronym whatever bpd carries a lot of stigma um negative connotations and stigma as does adhd etc and i know recently it's kind of been changed to eupd okay but that's emotionally unstable personality Not disorder and i was talking to someone recently who i know has this condition and they were like that one's even worse it's just saying oh we're just completely emotionally unstable you know I don't know, just like who came up with that word? Because seriously, they need to go back to the drawing board. That is terrible. It's just like all of the, the kind of, what's the word? It's just all of the assumptions. And like, same with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's like, it should be called, I have too much attention. I want to give it to everything <laughs> disorder. Yeah. Or maybe that's not very good. Rather, but you know what I mean? Hyperactive. <laughs> it's it just seems a bit childish. That's why people always think that only kids get it because it's like hyperactive yeah. and can't focus, but it's not just And we that. don't have a deficit of attention. We have too much attention to give to everything. We want to be, we want to be absorbed in stuff all the time. 
anyway but yeah that just goes back to the old etymology again i guess full circle mm. the last thing we'll say is just as renee brooks suggests in terms of techniques of coping with RSD, come up with your own. But some of the ones she gives are things like taking a warm bath, calling a trusted friend, recalling times when things went well, stepping away from the problem, having a quick nap, watching a bit of TV, a hug, aromatherapy, ice cream, mindfulness, writing, crochet, sitting in the sunshine, affirmations, screaming into a pillow, I would recommend, listening to a song really loudly, eating something, having a little cry. Yeah. Timmy, any to add to that list? Uh, no, I think they're all good. The main ones I, I use. Masturbate. Are, um, is that on the list? I mean, yeah. Fair. No, it's not on her list, but it's on my list. Probably not when you're in the office or whatever. Um, oh, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, those, those are the ones I kind of, most of those are the ones I kind of go to, like leaving the room, taking a break. I think as you, a good one is remembering times when things went well or when that person that you feel has put you in the rejection space was actually a good friend to you and supported you. So, like if you're fighting with your parents, your friends, thinking like, okay, this is one isolated situation. I shouldn't discount the whole friendship or the whole kind of parenthood because of one thing and be trying like give yourself hard facts that are hard to like dis discount. So you can actually be like, no, I'm just feeling emotional because of RSD and then gradually kind of taking yourself back to back to being grounded. But yeah, I think everyone has different things that work for them. But yeah. I had an ADHD coaching session recently and she said something that I loved where I was telling her how, how I had quite a lot of overwhelming emotions at the moment. And she said, okay, try and externalize those emotions by doing really dramatic things like she said put on a really pretty dress and go for like a walk in the rain or like you know smoke a cigarette outside staring at the moon mm. not that I'm recommending smoking but I really love the idea I think because with ADHD emotions can get so trapped in our body and feel so huge externalizing them like putting a song on in your room and dancing around whatever it might be or something dramatic or pretending you're in a film because we've got these crazy creative brains can kind of help you laugh at yourself and make the emotion seem less yeah doing dangerous. something drastic and also get it out of your system yeah i think do something drastic but like completely um count i guess it's like kind of extremely different not, not drastic i mean something like, like drive a car drunk but like they like steal someone's car and like <laughs> drive it around with the roof but down like going out in the rain or like having a cigarette or, the moon or just doing yeah. something like that kind of forces you to like shift to another emotional state is always good i think yeah so yeah. like even if it's like calling someone that i love and laughing on the phone sometimes or like going to someone I know that can always cheer me up, just force me to laugh and then like I can kind of calm down. It's gonna I think as well, like with yeah. with like with ADHD and I think as you learn more about yourself and your family and friends kind of learn with you and you're in a relationship, whatever, people will know and kind of learn how to support you and deal with you when you're in that stage, give you the space when you come back and calm down. Lightly cheering you up. My, my like some of my close friends are very good at kind of like reading me and knowing when I'm in that kind of weird phase, giving me space for ten minutes to come back later and just being like, hey you're good and it's fine. So I think it's important to yeah, share with your you friends. If you've got a kid with ADHD and you can learn when they're getting RSD and just give them space, stop the conversation, or start conversations with like, I'm not criticizing you here, even if you are. Don't lie to your kids. <laughs> just be though. like, I want to talk about X, you know, or I'm not rejecting you, I love you. Just like using those positive, um, reaffirming statements as you're trying to have a conversation so as not to trigger RSD too extremely. <laughs> and giving them space when it does happen so then you can come back to the discussion later on but equally us with adhd need to do the work make sure that yeah exactly do the work because we can't go around I'm expecting everyone to do the work people. for us yeah, yeah. I'd love to. <laughs> imagine that what a good life it's like that that meme is like what's your dream job and the guy's like 
oh, darling, I don't dream of labour. Honestly, no. I was born to be a star who just gets sent through clothes and just travel the world and just eats and sleeps. Like, honestly, sometimes I think about Literally. the fact that we have to work and I'm just like, this was not what I was born to do. I was born My to be a star. My sister said the other day, she was like, if your job could be just lounging around, she was like, you would make so much money. <laughs> she drags you. It's That's true. so funny. Okay, so now we can't think of an ADHD moment of the week, so we're going to do ADHD stimulation of the week, which sounds like a vibrator. I mean it like that. Could be. Could be actually. Yeah, it that, that's not week, what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of true crime, big consumer of true crime, not series because I feel like they're too close to the bone. Don't like seeing people's faces and eyes, and when the photo's there and you have to look in the eye of the person, don't want to do that. But I listen to two podcasts I love. One is Red Handed with Hannah and Saruti, and the other one is True Crime and Cocktails with, I can't remember their names, oh God, Lauren and Christy. So both podcasts, two women on each of them, really funny feminist, left-leaning women, love it. Anyway, on True Crime and Cocktails, they were talking about this particular case, the Lizzie Borden case, which is like a really famous murder in America. This girl who probably bludgeoned her dad and stepmother to death in like Victorian times, but didn't go down for it, bloody blah, blah. And they were talking about this one guy, right? So Christy was presenting and she was saying how he remembered, his alibi was that he like remembered some really key facts about things like, you know, the number plate on this particular car that he saw and the number of the bus that he got and this, that and the other and like that's a bit shifty. And then Lauren made the point because she thinks she might have ADHD. That isn't it interesting that throughout history there are so many situations where, or just people in general, where they probably were neurodiverse. Like, for example, that guy was maybe on the spectrum and therefore had a real aptitude for, like, numbers and, you know, maybe a photographic memory, noticed things in detail and therefore could regurgitate that to police, which may then look, like, dodgy or, like, oh, is he trying to hide something? Or, you know, how does he know that or whatever? But actually it's because his brain's just a bit different and magical in its own way. Do you know what I mean, Timmy? So I just thought that was really cool. I was like, yeah, when she said that about him noticing all of these really specific details i was like sounds like he's neurodivergent yeah i know what you mean sorry you're saying that isn't like quite often back in the day before people were like diagnosed with stuff their behavior yeah. might have come across as like well that's kind of peculiar or like i guess like as you're saying spectrum like autistic yeah. in a certain way but like they're good at certain things because of their neurodivergence yeah exactly. i'm sure there are loads of people like that so anyway recommend listening to true crime and like you know, the sort of validity of true crime is a whole other thing. I know a lot of people think that like the consumption of true crime is kind of sadistic and all this kind of stuff. But there's also some really interesting writing about why women are the biggest consumers of true crime because we're also the ones who are more likely to be the victims of true crime. Um, yeah, that's a whole other conversation, but another very interesting thing. Timmy's literally yawning right now. Okay, your turn. <laughs> I was just thinking about when we, when you came uh, over during the week and we were like working from together and like recording in the evening or just like planning stuff about how we both had at the same time had like a medication crash and it was kind of wearing off and oh, so we both yeah. like <laughs> didn't speak for like 10 minutes and we went down to Tesco's like basically in silence got some snacks and we went on a nice little walk uh, I got some frutella you got what did you get Oreos, and, Oreos. Coke. and then we both had some sugar sat down and chatted for a bit and then came back and then got back to work and we were fine and I was just thinking like for me sometimes 
my stimulation thing is like actually just doing nothing like just like something simple like just having a coffee like going away from like the work or like having some sugar or just like sitting down for five minutes and watching netflix it's just like doing something else to like wake my brain up a little bit and make me not be like i want to go to sleep and then coming back so yeah um i'm getting better especially through ellie actually realizing that like it might be that my medication's wearing off and rather than like trying to force myself to power through because i need to do stuff like taking five twenty minute five to twenty minute break and just relaxing or like rejigging my brain, doing something a bit more exciting to wake me up, then coming back is a better idea than just pretending I'm working when I'm not. But I also love that like we can be in silence around each other and there was one point where we were both just on the sofa, like double chins without scrolling. We hadn't spoken in ages and we were like, We need to go to the shop. <laughs> and but we both understand that we both were completely zoned out, needed dopamine hits. Yeah. And we're getting that from our phones. And there was no judgment. You know, I didn't even think about what, what you were thinking no, if you were wondering what I was doing. All. Whereas in other social situations when we feel like we have to power through and like keep talking to people and then get exhausted afterwards. It's it was really, really nice. nice. Yeah. And I also really needed to pee and I didn't go and pee and you were like, yes, yeah, same. And we oh, both just yeah, sat there for 20 minutes like scrolling like we should go to the toilet. So yeah, that was funny. So that's um that was my moment of the week. Uh, my stimulation yeah. of the week. But yeah, that's that's it for this week. Beautiful. Um, All right. Well, we hope this episode was helpful to anyone who's experienced RSD. And yeah, um, oh. thank you for everyone that's been listening so far. This is episode ten, so that's quite a big milestone for us. Uh, our first ten episodes yeah. are out. We are getting ready to do some um, guest interviews as well this week. So is that right this week? Yeah. It's yeah. So one of our next few episodes will have a special guest as well uh but yeah thanks for everyone that's been listening please as we said on our story as well today if you do like the podcast be sure to comment or leave a review and like hit like and give it a rating out of how many stars you think it is it really helps us to subscribe get us um boosted on the rankings and so more people can find us and we can hopefully help and entertain and inform more people but yeah thanks a lot for listening guys and we will see you on episode 11 next week see you soon bye